What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 132 of Land Parties from the Las Vegas Review Journal. This episode is brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host, Lucas Egan, and Ryan Smith is enjoying some well-deserved time off, escaping the Las Vegas heat up in northern Nevada. So, Ryan, I hope you're having a good time, and I am very envious of you for not being stuck down here in the 100 plus degree heat but joining me this week is a very special guest somebody that i've been looking forward to talking to for a while you've seen her work as a games writer in several blockbuster series uh, including telltale's the walking dead dying light 2 miles morales and a couple of upcoming projects as well but she's also the author of the recently released book Gamer Girls, 25 Women Who Built the Video Game Industry. Mary Kenny is here. Mary, thank you so much, and congratulations on the launch. Thank you so much for having me. It has been uh, an amazing whirlwind of a week. Uh, I've already started getting messages from people over the weekend who have finished it, and um, wow, <laughs> it's very fast readers. It's, it's, it's been great. It's been so great to, to see people's reactions to the book. That's fantastic. And you know what? Let's just start with the book there. And uh, you know what? Launch week, I, I imagine, has to be uh, uh, nervousness <laughs> and a little bit of relief. But what is what is it like when you're working on a project for, I'm assuming, a while and then having it just kind of be out to the public and, and all of a sudden it goes from like a private project to everyone gets to lay their eyes on it? Sure. Uh I, I mean, I've been through this, as you noted, you know, I've written uh, for a few video games at this point. So I've been through this process a few times, which I think really helped. <laughs> Although this is this is my first book. This is my debut. But every time it is that there are things that you you put in any work, you know, certain jokes that you really like through lines that you're interested in themes you're trying to hit. And the moment that something goes live, uh, your your brain is just going, oh my god, are they going to get it? Oh, oh, is that was that? Did I pick the right one? Did they? Are people going to like you know this version? Because if this book had been written by anybody else, you know, it might be completely different. Is that the better version? I don't know. You know, so so it's all these churning thoughts of of what the reactions are going to be. But overall, I mean the thing that I always feel when something I've worked on comes out and it's, it's been true so far for gamer girls is all the little moments that, you know, maybe even I didn't appreciate as much. Like I, I wrote something and I thought it was fine and then went out with my life, but these little moments, these, these little moments of stories or observations that people that, that really speaks differently to every person reading it. That somebody says, Oh, I've been through this exact Thing. Oh, I've gotten this exact feedback. Oh, you know, this, mm-hmm. this feeling of I'm not alone. Someone saw me. And every time I get a message like that, um, whether it is for a game or for this book, that's that's really what makes it feel like <laughs> three years of working on it was was really worth it. And it is such an important book. What originally got you uh, interested in this project? Had it been on your mind for a while? And, and what made now the right time to to work on it and release it? Totally. Uh, so the way this book came about um, actually was after uh, Walking Dead, the final season, you know, debuted and 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 my name was kind of out there because, as you said, you know, I was a lead episode writer and wrote on the rest of the season. My agent, Eric Smith, reached out to me and said, hey, this is a book 
that should exist. <laughs> there, there should be a book about the history of women in early video games. And I replied and I, I was like, Eric, that book definitely already exists. There's no way it doesn't. And I did some research and I went, oh, nope. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. Uh, I mean, there are, there are certainly books about um, you know, some of the struggles that women have faced in the industry. There are books listing all the women, you know, <laughs> a bunch of women who work in the industry now or have worked in the industry since the early 2000s. But there wasn't specifically a book of history about women who were making games early, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And so, so the narrative that we get a lot is that women are a recent addition to the video games industry, that we started joining the 2000s. And isn't that nice that we finally were allowed to come in and, and play? And, and the answer is no, because that's not what happened. It's we, we've been around the whole time and, you know, have sometimes gotten credit for it. And as I outline in, in several of the chapters in the book, often have not gotten credit for it, but we were there and, and we were doing this work. When you were doing the research uh, for this project, was there uh, a part that was the most challenging for you? Uh, finding primary sources was, was very difficult. There were, I did interview or, uh, you know, spoke to many women in the book, but not all of them. Some of them I couldn't speak to um, because they have, uh, you know, since passed away. Others I couldn't speak to, you know, either because they're retired or they're just not really interested in games anymore. And and that was fine. So when you're writing a anything uh, where you can't speak to primary sources, you have to start with secondary sources and then chase down the people who did that research and then talk to them as well. So the research for me was... I mean, it was really fun, honestly. Um, I Before I became a games writer, I was a journalist. And mm -hmm. because I'm not a journalist anymore, uh, it I got to go back and do something I enjoy that I don't usually get to do as much <laughs> anymore. Uh -huh. uh, so I did enjoy it, but it, it was... It was hard and it was really hard because, you know, I spent a lot of time on like the internet archives and looking up, I mean, ordering eBay back copies of early gaming magazines <laughs> that are like falling apart. It just, it, it was a huge lift to get all these sources that, you know, in some cases are 40 years old uh, and, and trying to find the people who wrote those original articles. It, it was just, it was a pretty big lift. When you were kind of compiling the list of, of women you wanted to include, uh, was was there, did you have that set time period in mind right from the get-go or, or did that kind of evolve as you were uh, working on it? I did have the the set time period in mind. I like I said, um, you know, the goal was to be this is the history of women before we think there were a lot of women in the games industry. Mm -hmm. I think it is not maybe not widely known, but among people who are interested in video games and in the industry, there are women here. <laughs> there are visible women here and have been since the, you know, maybe the 2010s, if not the early 2000s. So so that wasn't really what I was trying to prove. You know, I knew I was trying to prove that women were here earlier and we have not heard those stories. And that made it challenging uh, because uh, it was a lot easier to find the stories and recent stories of uh, women who have joined. You know, I, I found a ton of people I would have loved to profile or would in the future who joined around 2012, 2015, but that, that didn't really fit this book. And several of them um, 
there are these little blurbs throughout the book called side quests that that talk about uh, other women who've had a major impact in the industry. Um, a lot of them ended up being those blurbs, not the only reason was because they joined a little bit later, but they still right. contribute something incredible that we're all still learning from. And, you know, having that journalism background, uh, how big was that in, in writing this book in, in a way that would appeal both to, you know, that core gamer audience, but maybe people who are, are new to the art form or people who aren't gamers, but just find it fascinating? Yeah, it, it was really helpful um, because as was being a game writer, because part of telling nonfiction stories, um, as you know, <laughs> uh, part of telling nonfiction stories is finding the story. You know, what is the structure? What are the themes? What are, what's the message we're kind of trying to get across? It's not just listing a bunch of facts about a person because that's, um, you know, that, that's not the kind of thing that people remember. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was finding the story, but it's, it's, also teaching. Uh, a lot of game writing is teaching the player how to do the thing. A lot of journalism writing is teaching people what the truth is or what's going on or what's the context of the story. And that's, you know, that all of that was what I was thinking of when I was writing the book, not just who are these, these women, what did they do? It was also what is the context in which they did this? Um, what was the atmosphere? What was, you know, what was it like in the studios where they were working? So all of that kind of came to bear. And that's something I learned as a journalist. Uh, ab absolutely. <laughs> you know, and as you were working on this project, uh, I mean, obviously you had your, your clear uh, mission and goals in mind, but was there something that you learned or took away that surprised you that maybe you weren't expecting when you started? I was surprised. Um, perhaps I shouldn't have been. I was surprised how many people were just left off of credits <laughs> in, mm. in the book. I mean, it really, it, it, it saddened me, obviously, and it, it really, I'm glad that I was able to include them in their accomplishments in the book so that, you know, the, their name is out there. There is a record of this person made this thing, which, you know, defined the games that you love. It really did surprise me how many, how many of the women in the book were just, just not in the credits. And there doesn't appear to be a good reason most of the time. Most of the the women that I talked to who noted this, that they worked on several projects and didn't get credit for it, uh, said, you know, they don't really know either. It was never explained to them. And, uh, you know, it just, that was, that was the disappointing thing that I learned. The thing that uh, I learned that was more positive, more optimistic, um, again, this is probably something that shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. How many women joined this industry having no idea what they were getting into? And that makes sense considering how early it was. You know, we didn't have, we didn't have, you know, the Game Awards. We didn't have right. goatee lists so much. We didn't have, you know, kind of a wider cultural footprint yet. Uh, so a lot of these women, you see the story over and over in the book, played a single video game or heard, read an article about, one game that had just come out, didn't even play it and went, that sounds interesting. I want to know more about that <laughs> and kind of, you know, mm -hmm. either uprooted their lives or, you know, shifted their focus to join this industry and just fell in love with it and found a passion for, you know, kind of the, the intersection of creativity and technology. And so seeing that story over and over again was so fascinating because I think it's also how a lot of modern game devs get into it is we don't necessarily plan to be exactly here, but we discover something we love 
and just kind of decide to, if we can, just dive into it. And and it was it was great to feel really connected to to the women in this book through that you know that through line of excitement. And I know you mentioned this uh, before, but as you've started to hear feedback from people who have, have finished the book here, and you know you mentioned how people are, are taking away different things from it how rewarding is that for you? And, and did you come in hoping that they would pull certain things from it? Or, or was this the goal to kind of put it out in the wild and, and let people uh, be inspired and learn from uh, what they may from it? Yeah. One thing I've learned after a few years of, of writing fiction and a few more years of writing nonfiction in the world, I can never predict exactly how an audience is going to react to a thing. Because even if, you know, an overwhelming amount of the audience reacts in one way, another portion might react in another way. And what I mean by that is not just, you know, an overall, will they like it or not? It's it's things like, does this joke land or not? Does this character resonate or not? And so much of it comes from each individual individual's, you know, interest and background and uh, just what themes resonate with them. So there were things I wanted people to take away. Certainly. Um, I wanted people to know that women have been around for a long time doing really Mm -hmm. interesting things. I wanted uh, people to know that women have enjoyed this work as well. One of, one of the things I've talked about a lot in promotion for the book um, and will continue to is Sometimes it can feel like the only time that women game developers are interviewed is to talk about harassment. And that's not, A, it's not true. There's certainly coverage (laughs) of of women working on things. You know, it is not the whole story. But it often feels that way. It it feels Mm -hmm. like it's kind of outweighed by the the only time you see articles where it's all women or most even mostly women, it's so that they can talk about the harassment and bullying. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing that reporting. Of course we should. It is so important, you know, to to shine a light on that and and root out bullying and toxicity when we can. That that's not at all what I'm saying. What I am saying is it's not the whole story of women game developers. Right. We also have wins. <laughs> we have successes. We have supportive teams. We win awards. We are leads. We, you know, there there is so much more to the experience of being a woman game developer than the harassment and bullying. That's often also part of it, unfortunately, but it's not the whole story. So I wanted people to read this book and know that that you know, and I speak a little bit from, well, not a little bit, I speak from experience here. I have certainly endured harassment and bullying in my time as a game writer, and it hasn't been great. And it's, I've left studios where I didn't feel like I was treated well because I wasn't treated well. And also I've had a ton of wins and I've had really amazing teams and I've had projects I'm proud of. And I I really wanted that whole story and that whole experience to come through in this book. So I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but, but that's, I, those were the things that I was aiming for with the book. The things that have uh, surprised me are, you know, little moments of observation on some, some of the things that inspired particular women. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, Muriel Tramis, who uh, is w- phenomenal game writer, game designer, 
was awarded the French Legion of Honor. Like she, she, she was phenomenal. And I got a ton of messages about, you know, some, some of the quotes that she said in interviews over the years, some of the experiences she's had with different studio ownership. And, you know, I expected her story to resonate, but I didn't know every way in which her story would resonate. And that's just, it's just wonderful to see um, people seeing themselves in the, these other women. That's fantastic. And, and I think I absolutely agree with you uh, on all the points you just made there. I, I think, you know, honestly, it's always been a, a little worry of mine that, that mm-hmm. while we, we do need to focus uh, and, and tell those stories of, of the harassment that people deal with, that there's part of me that worries that that's going to scare people who should be in this industry off if that's all mm-hmm. they see and, and if if we're not seeing the victories, the, the highs there too. Uh, so I, it, yeah, it's obviously it's a complicated matter there, but yeah, I, I do agree with you there um, that the telling the whole story is extremely uh, imperative. Uh, and, you know, when you discover that, that this book hadn't been written yet, uh, what did, did you automatically think that, yes, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm in a good place to write this. Did, did it take some self-convincing, uh, you know, that, that to, to jump into this project? I mean, I know obviously it's intensive. You're still doing other work. Uh, I imagine that that balance must've been challenging over these last couple of years. Uh, so, so what personally did you think made you want to, to write this? So I, I pretty much jumped in feet first but there, there will be a but here. When I started working on the book, uh, I had been at Insomniac Games for for about three months, and you know I had uh, this full time job. I was working at the time on uh, Marvel's Spider Man Miles Morales, and you know I had plenty on my plate, but it wasn't overwhelming. I had gone from being a freelancer where I was taking on six or seven or eight <laughs> projects from different studios at a time to well, I only have one job now, so I got plenty of time to write a book. No problem. <laughs> like I, I, I underestimated both how much work you know Miles would end up being and how much work the book would end up being. And I also started writing comics around the same time, so I, I was all all in on everything. And not shockingly, uh, experienced some pretty hardcore burnout by Christmas of that same year. So I started in, uh, you know, summer and then mm-hmm. by Christmas, I was, I was pretty goodly burned out. Um, so what I learned <laughs> from that experience was how I work best, which is, um, you know, for me, the book was, uh, really kind of a, a weekend project. Um, I wasn't mm-hmm. working on it on days uh, when I also had to go into the office every day. Um, I was I was working on weekends and that worked fine for me. That did not trigger the burnout. I also took off time to work on it when I could. Uh, you know, when, uh, when we were in a good place with Miles, I took off a couple weeks and rented a cabin in the woods and wrote furiously for two weeks. And that was really, really helpful. And it it was just, for me, it was about three years of really learning how to balance different projects. Cause I do like doing different projects um, all at the same time, but you know, it was kind of a crash course in how to work on a lot of things that you love without completely overextending yourself um, and collapsing, which I only learned because I, overextended myself and almost collapsed. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I wish I had figured that one out a little sooner, but that, that's okay. We made it. 
you know, f- from a, a personal perspective, uh, between you know games writing this book and and the comics, is it important to you to challenge yourself in a variety of different disciplines, writing wise? Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, I and working in different media gives me ideas on how to work on the other media. That was a weird way to say that sentence, but you know, there are things I've learned from writing comics that I can then apply to video games. There are things I know about writing video games that help me write this book, right. That I couldn't have written if I wasn't a game writer. So kind of dipping into all of these different types of media just helps me write the others from a unique perspective. I think It, it really is. If you are interested in being a storyteller, the challenge of how to tell stories most effectively using different tools per different media is it's really fun. I I totally understand why some people are not into it. They want to specialize and be fantastic at one medium. And I think that's also a right choice for a lot of people. But for me, one of my problems uh, or I don't know, opportunities, uh, whatever, uh, as a writer is that I get bored pretty easily. And then I decide that everything I've written is uh, bad. It's all, it's all garbage. (laughs) I want to toss it all out. So for me, what's really helpful is to split my time on different projects so that I can, I can focus really hard on this one and then that one and then that one. And that kind of keeps me excited about all of the projects because I'm not hyper-focused on one for years. And again, you know, this is a good way for me to avoid a different kind of burnout where you just burn mm-hmm. out on working on the same thing <laughs> for years and years and years. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I know that this book just came out, so this might not be the right time to ask this, but would you write more books? Are there topics that you're thinking about kind of diving into? Yes, and I wish I could talk about them more, <laughs> but unfortunately, <laughs> I'm in conversations and can't reveal anything yet. <laughs> but But the short answer is, yes, I love the experience of working on a book. The biggest difference between working on a book or even a comic book and uh, working on games is working a little more solo versus working on a team. And I've discovered I like both for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would absolutely definitely work on uh, another book. Um, I'm still, I, I waffle quite a bit on do I want to keep the focus on video games and video game history or do I want to expand a little bit more or just do something completely different? It, it kind of depends on the day. So <laughs> right now I'm I'm working on locking that down. Ooh, sounds intriguing. So whatever's next, I'm, I'm excited to find out whatever, whenever we get to find that out. Ooh, see, now I'm committed. Now I have to write it. <laughs> this is me trapping myself in your podcast. Right, there you go. See, see, we're going to hold you to this. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, great. <laughs> well, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back with Mary and talk more about uh, the book and her career here. So we'll be right back. And welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to those short messages. And Mary, if I can take you way back to the beginning here, uh, what got you interested in games writing? Uh, and, and what kind of led to that transition from journalism? Yeah, so uh, the the story there is I had been a journalist for a few years, and my career was going well. 
it was it was going well. I had a, a good job. I had gotten to write about some interesting things, talk to some fascinating people, travel a bunch. Mm-hmm. And it kind of so so I live in Chicago and I lived in Chicago when I had this realization. I was crossing a bridge over the Chicago River, strolling across it, where it just like I mean, literally hit me like a bolt of lightning. I don't I don't like this job. I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you're not happy when your career is going well, then you know, maybe you're not in the right one because, right. right. So, so that it hit me and I kind of sat with my own thoughts, honestly, for a few months and thought, okay, well, what can I do? There are things I really like about journalism, right? I like talking to other people. I like working with other people. I love learning new things. I love writing. How, how do I do this? Um, and then the, the, other thing that was happening at kind of the same time was I I grew up playing video games. Uh, said that weird, but I grew up playing <laughs> video games from the time I was I was a little kid. My two kind of I mean my favorite media were books and video games. I went back and forth between them forever, mm-hmm. and I sort of took a break from them in high school, which I think was a combination of being really really busy, but also you know, you kind of hitting high school and suddenly being interested in boys and all those boys <laughs> saying, hey, girls don't play games. And I was like, I, I guess not. Cause I'm interested in you. So I want you to like me. So, you know, I think there was a lot of, a lot of tragedy there. Um, but I fell back in love with games very hard in college. And then this was not super long after college. So, I was playing video games again. I was loving them. I was like, I can't believe I ever broke up with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> we have to get back together in video games. And, you know, having that kind of reawakening of, of a medium I loved at the same time as realizing I was in an industry I didn't love, it, it all came together, right? So I started looking into what are grad school programs that I could do uh, to pursue this because I don't know anybody in games. I don't know anything about writing video <laughs> games. I got nothing. So I applied to a bunch of grad schools and uh, got into the MFA in game design program at NYU. Uh, I went there and from there got the internship at Telltale Games and that launched my career into game writing. Was that a, a fairly easy transition? Because uh, in, in my mind, you know, going from a uh, uh, journalistic style of writing into a narrative style of writing doesn't always lend itself. I mean, there are of course similarities, uh, but but obviously some major differences. Was that an easy jump for you to make? No, <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, the things that were good that I was able to pull over. Um, so I've done a lot of IP work, uh, as you noted. I've done. Batman and uh, Spider-Man and uh, Walking Dead. So being able to do a lot of research and apply that to your storytelling, great. Learned it in journalism, very applicable to IP work. Being able to write in a way that is both compelling and informative, something I learned from journalism, very applicable to game writing. The things that were hardest uh, were I was starting a little bit on the back foot because I didn't have a background in screenwriting. I didn't really have a background in fiction. Right. So I would be sitting in writing rooms or writer's rooms and people would be throwing around jargon that, you know, now I know, uh, you know, I, I understand three act and five act structure. I understand midpoint. I understand like all of these things that are pretty basic if you've taken a lot of screenwriting or creative writing classes, but if you haven't, 
I had nothing. I was just saying they're like, yeah, uh-huh. That does sound like an important act one break, you know, <laughs> like not knowing what I was doing. So I really, I really had to kind of self-teach um, both uh, talking, getting mentors, talking to my mentors a lot, admitting to them what I didn't know, which was hard. Uh, I didn't want to, but I did <laughs> so that I could learn. And also uh, buying books on screenwriting and reading them and learning learning the jargon, if not taking every piece of advice like gospel is kind of the balance. And then the best way to learn to write anything, any form of fiction is to do it. You know, my, right. my first, uh, games that, that I released before telltale, uh, I learned a lot about game writing. I learned when I was too wordy or too complex or, you know, whatever. And that helped me improve my writing going forward. So it was a steep learning curve, but, uh, I was very, lucky to uh to have mentors and teams that help me ascend that learning curve i don't know is that how you say it yeah makes sense makes <laughs> sense and i actually i find that inspiring because i think for a lot of us if you know we might be interested in trying something new but it's hard for anyone to admit they might not know something uh or to jump in and be that vulnerable with people uh mm-hmm. what you know, was that, had you not done that, do, do you think uh, your career still would have progressed to, to somewhere near where it was today? Uh, was was that something that, um, like, it's, I don't think it's easy for very many of us to, to go up to someone and go, look, you know, I'm coming in, I'm new, I don't really know a whole lot about this industry, but I want to, uh, would you be willing to teach me? It, it, it's intimidating for a lot of us. Uh, so, and was there something that you, you just told yourself to kind of get over that, that hump? I, it's a, it's a combination of factors because on the one hand, yeah, I mean, it was hard for me too. It, it was very hard for me to admit I didn't know things. didn't like that at all. I, I think that's hard for everybody. Part of it was honestly just, I failed a few times, right? I, um, I would try to write a scene and it wouldn't go well. It didn't, you know, it didn't flow or the dialogue was clunky or whatever. And, I would get feedback on it and just have no idea how to act on it, not know how to interpret it. And you get that experience enough times, you know, you finally kind of have to be honest with yourself about, okay, I need help. I need somebody to walk me through this. And then the other part that is so important uh, is finding the right person to, or persons to mentor you. So and I think this is, you know, something I think about a lot now that I'm in a, you know, more of a senior writer. Seniors need to be able to mentor juniors in a way that is not patronizing, is not trying to kind of steal their unique perspective or voice and tamp it down, but is helpful, is constructive, is like, I see what you're trying to do. Let's make sure you can do it better you know, tell me things you don't know. I'm not judging you for them. I am just trying to teach you. There, there has to be somebody kind of being welcoming in that way. And for me, that came uh, from Ryan Kaufman at Telltale Games, who was the director of design and had been doing narrative design for years and years and <laughs> does mm-hmm. a great job. And you know, he saw that I was struggling with some of the notes I was getting and offered like, Hey, I know you've done three or four revisions of the scene. I know it's not going well. What if we just walk through it together? Let's just walk through every beat and I can, I can help you punch it up. I can help you smooth it out. And him kind of giving me that space gave me more space down the line to admit when something wasn't going well and get the feedback I needed from jump, 
which eventually led to the things that he was teaching me when we would do these sit downs, you know, I started becoming habit for me when actually just writing the scene. And so that's now what I try to do with, um, you know, I do a lot of, I teach narrative design and then I also mentor interns at Insomniac and I try to do as much as I can. And I always have that in my head of like, you, you just, you need to give people permission to fail. You need to give people permission to not know what's going on. It doesn't make them bad at their job. It just makes them new and that's fine. (laughs) It's, it's not a big deal. Do you have like a, a scene uh, from from any of the games that you worked on that you look back on and go, you know, that that's where it started to click. Like, that's where I, I kind of started to grow up as a writer. Yeah, I think it would be the uh, romance scene between Clementine and Violet in Walking Dead, the final season. So I I had written some scenes I was proud of before then, but you know, I was proud of them. I, it, it, I guess it just didn't flow as naturally. It wasn't my creativity. It was me kind of, okay, these are all the lessons I've learned and I'm going to plod through those lessons until this scene works. Mm-hmm. This was the first time where I, it, it felt like I am telling something really authentic and honest and able to punch it up based on feedback and based on um, some of these lessons I've learned. So that scene... I, I wrote it to have several branches. It can either be a moment where, um, you know, the player character starts a romance with this character, Violet, or they just become really good friends and that's equally important. And there are a lot of things in that scene that, you know, I kind of had to dig deep and was was kind of reexamining my experiences as a bisexual teenager and, you know, applying that plus the lessons of screenwriting, plus all I had learned about, you know, writing for player agency and like finally able to combine all of those into a scene where by the end of it, the feedback I was getting was, wow, this is incredible. This is so beautiful. This really moved me. And that, that was the first time that I really got that feed, not just, oh, this works. Oh, this is tense. Oh, this, this is great. <laughs> like mm-hmm. This was the first time I got feedback that was like, this moved me because it's very honest and authentic. And I think getting to the point where you're comfortable enough with your writing to be honest and authentic is also something that really just comes with writing a lot, (laughs) writing over and over and over and and learning lessons from your mistakes. You know, up and down your credits, you've obviously worked on a lot of uh, big projects there uh, Mm -hmm. and a lot of well-established characters uh, that, that I think come with, uh, preconceived notions uh, and thoughts that, that fans have of, of those characters. So so when you go into a, a franchise, uh, regardless of what it is, uh, where's that balance of, of, of how much you guys want to, to honor what's come before while pushing you know characters in new directions and, and trying something new? Yeah, so it's... It's different for every character and every project, right? Is mm-hmm. is uh, but I would say the kind of overall rule of thumb I have is when you look at comics or even books you're adapting, or even so, the very first video game I worked on as a contract game writer while I was still in grad school was historical fiction. Uh, it was about Vikings, like sixth, seventh century, and. What I learned from that as my very first video game was there's a lot about uh, Vikings, like a lot of of published work by anthropologists, archaeologists that's contradictory. 
the same is very true for comics is very true <laughs> for books is that that you know we have we have alternate timelines we have um different different writers who have taken had wildly different takes on various characters over the years so for me what it really is about is trying to get to the core of a character or the core of a world what is what is it about this person or the setting that really sticks with people that people really can't get out of their heads and hearts that is why this is still you know as compelling as it is and um i guess i just have walking dead on the brink so i'm going to use it again as an example mm-hmm. <laughs> this is something i i also learned on walking Dead the final season was for me you know because all except for clementine nearly all of the characters were originals to the season what it was about was doing the research into the setting and so again for me it was what is it about the setting that draws people in and doesn't let them go? What is it about this specific take on uh, the undead and walkers that that really, really gets people invested? And from reading the comics and, you know, from from reading some of the various thoughts and critiques and, and, and think pieces on the show over the years and, and watching the show as well, mm-hmm. uh, it, there was, you know, it's these deeply human, flawed people and then it's cranked up to 11,000 because <laughs> they're in this dystopia. So so it is, you know, what do broken, flawed, fragile people do to survive? And one of the things that was really important to me was, and, and several other people on Walking to the final season was, how do we build community from nothing? How mm-hmm. do we reconnect to one another when all we've learned in the last few years of our settings is to distrust one another. And that's, you know, so, so it's stuff like that, just really finding what is the core of character or setting or, or whatever that resonates with people. And it's always something that ends up being fairly simple and deeply human. And then that's from there, you can start building themes and problems and arcs. I, I must say this, this is a, a dangerous line of answers because the walking dead series is like my favorite, one of my favorite video <gasps> game series of all time. So I could talk, I could talk with you just for hours on that. <laughs> oh, I'm glad it's on my brain then. <laughs> I didn't even know that. So. Uh, you know, you said that obviously you like to challenge yourself and, and like to try new things. If, if if I took the reins off, if I said you could work on any IP in, in whatever medium you like, do you have some in mind that, that are kind of like your dream characters? Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, it's not do I have one it's do I only have one (laughs) I mean I I gotta say like uh seeing the the rings of power most recent uh uh trailer I was like oh my god I would give my left arm to work on that it looks so cool but honestly uh if I could work on anything uh (laughs) it would probably be the works of uh Tamora Pierce Uh because she I mean she was she was a formative influence for me. I read all her books as a little girl. I love her work and her storytelling and her world building and, you know, being able to work on either video game. Well, no video games, <laughs> being able to make video games in that universe would be uh, a dream come true. So that that's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I would love to see that. <laughs> whoever whoever's out there that's got the power let's 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 get this the ball rolling on this one <laughs> you're powerful people please, <laughs> please let me make it someday someday we'll get there 
<laughs> I know. I'll come back on the podcast in like 15 years and be like, guess what? Well, Mary, thank you so much for joining us. I know that you're obviously super busy. Uh, <laughs> tell us where we can get the book. Give us one more plug. And if you have any final thoughts you want to share about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you can get the book uh, basically where books are sold. You can get it at uh, Gamer Girls, 25 Women Who Built the Video Game Industry is available at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and a ton of local booksellers. So uh, wherever you normally buy books, I bet it's there. <laughs> you can also uh, find me online. I'm usually on Twitter. That's where I live uh, at Mary Kay News. And, and yeah, if you are interested in the history of video games, the history of women in video games, and really kind of what makes game developers tick and why we love this industry, Gamer Girls is the book for you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mary, thank you so much. Uh, it was truly a pleasure. Hopefully we can get you back on here in the future uh, to talk about some of those mysterious projects that are coming up. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I would love that. That would be great. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you again. And thank you to everybody for listening. Ryan will be back with me next week. Uh, I hope everybody has a good rest of your week and weekend. And I know I can't say this nearly as cold Ryan does, but we love your faces. <laughs> <laughs>